Amen. The diameter of the sun is 8,640,938 miles. Um, if you want a comparison, that is 109 Earths across the face of the sun. Listen to this. It takes eight minutes and 20 seconds for light to travel from the sun to the earth. Wrap your minds around that. Because the sun is 92.96 million miles away. The sun is 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. So it is really, it's a good thing that it's eight minutes and 20 seconds to get light to travel here because that's really hot, 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. It is this hot because it's a massive ball of hydrogen that is getting compressed through nuclear fusion. So every day that you look at this sun, you are looking at something that is 864,938 miles away. And my question to you is, when was the last time you actually took a second to look at this magnificent star setting or rising? I have to be honest, I rarely look at this thing. Maybe on vacation, um, maybe when I can actually see it <laughs> outside of the buildings of Arlington or DC. Um, I have to be honest, sometimes I'm, I'm not really interested. It's, it's kind of tedious, it's kind of repetitious, it's kind of routine. I'm 46 years old. The sun rises and the sun sets pretty much every day of my life. It's just a 27 million degree, 800,000 mile ball of hydrogens. Nothing really to see there, meh, right? Repetition and monotony are just a kind of a part of our life. I was reading Brennan Manning's book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, for the hundredth time this year, and he says that the apostles wrote letters to their people with magnificent monotony of the love of Christ. And I tell you, church, those words leapt from the page as I was reading them. The love of Christ is the most magnificent truth I know. It has transformed my life, and I have given my life to preach this truth to whomever might listen to it. Whomever might listen to it. I love preaching this truth of the love of Christ because it has transformed me. And yet, if I am honest, this truth can be as monotonous as the sunset. Can it not? Some of us have gone to church longer than God. And the love of Christ becomes repetitious, routine, tedious, not interesting, monotonous, nothing to see here, just a king and his life and his death and his resurrection and his hope for the world and cosmic reconciliation of all things. Meh. Have you ever wondered why the apostles took so much time repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating again and again and again and again and again with magnificent monotony, the love of Christ found in the gospel? Perhaps, perhaps it is because they knew what we needed and perhaps, perhaps, there is actually magnificence in the monotony of the truth that we need 
of the love of Christ found in the gospel. You see, the church of Colossae that we're going to study, this little book, was tempted by the very same thing that I think we are tempted by. It's the temptation of wanting something new, some new word, a new teaching, a new book, a new thought, a new addition to the gospel, a new subtraction from the gospel, a new edit to the gospel. And Paul instructs the church and he instructs us, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. And I would say to you, church, how many plausible arguments are out there today? How many plausible additions and edits and subtractions are out there today? My encouragement to us as we study the book of Colossians is we don't need something new, but what we do need is to meet again someone true. And we need to meet him again and 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 again. The critical verse to interpret the whole book of Colossians is Colossians 3.10. It's a simple verse and it's a profound verse. Put on the new self. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Wow. Put on the new self, the resurrection self, the life in Christ self. Put on the new self. How is it being renewed again and again and again and again in a magnificent, monotonous renewal process of knowledge after what? Beholding the image of the creator of the salvation itself, Jesus. Beholding the image of the creator itself, Jesus. The author and perfecter of your faith itself, Jesus. You see, the Colossian church did not need additions and subtractions and edits to the gospel. What they needed is what we needed. We need to be renewed in the image of the creator of our faith itself. We need to see and behold in the gospel our risen savior, Jesus. And this is our great call together. And this is why I've entitled this series, A Gospel Life, A Magnificent Monotony. And so what I wanna do with the rest of our time is like a movie trailer, I wanna fit a two hour movie into one minute and five, seconds, and I want to fit four chapters of Colossians into our remaining time and give you a taste of this book and set up the rest of the series. So I want to do two things. I want to unpack this title a bit, A Gospel Life, A Magnificent Monotony, and then I want to briefly tell you why this book. So we clear on where we're going. Yeah? We're going to do it real quick. So A Gospel Life, A Magnificent Monotony. Sinclair Ferguson, if you have not read this book, The Whole Christ, it's one of the best books he's ever written. And he defines the gospel simply this. The gospel is Jesus Christ. The gospel is Jesus Christ. In the first four verses, Paul uses different phrases to talk about Jesus Christ and his kingdom work in the gospel. Verse four, he says, faith 
in Christ. Verse five, he says, the word of truth. Verse five, he says, the gospel. Verse six, he says, understand the grace of God in truth. So let's, for a minute, rehearse the gospel. Let's rehearse the gospel. What is the gospel? For those that have gone through the course seminar, you know that I use five words to describe the gospel. The gospel is the historic, prepositional, experiential, comprehensive story of Jesus. Let me repeat that for those that forgot. The gospel is the historic, propositional, experiential, comprehensive story about Jesus Christ. It is historic. In verse seven, in seven verses, I'm sorry, Paul declares that Jesus is the king five times. Christos. Five times he declares Jesus is the king. Now, that claim that Jesus is king is either historically true or not true. And here's the point. Our faith in Christ is either rooted in historical fact or it's myth. Do you understand that? It's either historical fact or it's myth. Let me explain it this way. Let me illustrate it this way. History is really important to me. I love history. Go to my house, you're gonna see a lot of books on history. Good history is about what actually happened in reality a long, 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 long time ago. Let me illustrate. Paul Curtis exists. How do I know that? Is Paul Curtis here today? Okay. No, he's not. Okay, point to Paul Curtis. Okay, Paul Curtis, stand. Ah, there is a man named Paul Curtis. He has three children. How do we know? How do we know? You've seen them. He has a wife whose name is Kimberly. How do we know? He has black hair. Ish. <laughs> did, you, did you know he, he drove a Corvette in high school? He's saying it's true. So how would we verify that he actually is not lying and drove a 1986 black Corvette in high school? What could we do? Where does his dad live? Vienna. So we could go to Vienna. We could get in a car right now, go to Vienna, and verify with his parents if he, in fact, got one, right? Yeah. He went to Duke, which, you know, is a little offensive, but... Because I'm, I went to University of Maryland. Go Terps. We are your rival. How would we know that he went to Duke? What could he show us? Diploma, that cost him a lot of money. You see how this works, right? Do you see how this works? How does history work? You validate with witnesses and papers and things that are written down and, and passed on to people. And the more evidence you have, the more historically accurate it is. Is that fair? There are many witnesses that point to Paul that have been to his house that can go to his father 
and say, did he have a Corvette? Right? Paul says this, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Then he appeared to James and the apostles. And then he appeared to me. You can go outside the Bible. You can go to two Roman historians and a Jewish historian, Tacitus, Suetonius, Josephus, and they'll tell you that Jesus Christ existed. And they'll tell you that he was crucified. One of them even says that a magician was raised from the dead. Witnesses, a lot of witnesses. A lot of witnesses claim he really is true. He really did die. He really is alive and a king. And he really does rule. And there is a day coming when he will reconcile all things in heaven and earth. And that is our great hope and salvation. Amen. It's historic, it's propositional. Propositions, I love what Paul says, it is the word of truth, the gospel. Propositions are great things. They're like concrete, you can step on them. They're firm. Francis Schaeffer says propositions are true truths. No matter what culture or time says, you can stand on them. Here are just a few propositions in Colossians. Can't wait to preach on them. Verse 12, the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. He did the work. He delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son. You have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Once you were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled you in body of flesh by death in order to present you holy and blameless. And you were dead in your trespasses. God made you alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses by canceling the record of debt stood against you with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Those are true truths that cannot change no matter what your culture is and no matter what time it is, whether it's 64 AD or 2020 AD. Always true. Experiential. They're experiential. In chapter 1, 24 through 29, Paul talks about his ministry to sharing Jesus to the nations and his calling. Paul can't help but talk about his ministry and calling to the world, to the nations, to the Gentiles. See, Acts chapter nine, if you've read Acts chapter nine, it's the, it's the day that he meets Jesus. And Jesus preaches Jesus to Paul. And this is important, and I, and I, I wanna be slow and I wanna be clear. Paul didn't read a book on the way to Damascus. Paul met the resurrected king that spoke powerful words to him. He said, why do you persecute me? And then he revealed who he was, the risen king. He met the gospel incarnate that day. Does that make sense? He met the resurrected king that day. 
Now, this is very, very important. I don't know how you came to Christ. It may have been through reading the Bible. It may have been through someone sharing the words of the gospel. It may have been from your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your friend, sharing words to you. Here's the thing I want you to realize. You met the God-man that day. You met the resurrected King Jesus that day. You experienced someone that day. Does that make sense? You didn't just read something that day. You met the resurrected King that day. That's different, because here's the thing. All the propositions that are true in the Bible, all the propositions in the books that you read that point to the propositions in the Bible that are true, point to a king that is real. Does that make sense? A person that you can experience every minute of the day. And when you experience that true and real king, what happens? You are renewed. You are renewed in what? The image of the creator of the faith that he gave you the very day that you met him. Why am I making this point? Because so many times, so many times, we say we know Jesus when the reality is we just know a lot about Jesus and the two are very different. We can read a lot about Jesus and get an A on the test and actually not know Jesus at all. And we get really bored because it becomes very tedious. And then we start looking for something new instead of someone true. comprehensive, the gospel is comprehensive in its application, there is no area it does not take over. Chapter three, verse four, he says, Christ who is your life. <laughs> if that is not a comprehensive statement about the gospel, Christ who is your life. Church, Christ is your life. He is your life. He is not a part of your life. He's not an appendage to your life. He is your life. He is the identity. He has taken over every part of your life. He is your life. In story, the gospel is a story of cosmic proportion. Chapter one, verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And friends, you and I have been caught into this cosmic story, this amazing gospel, this cosmic story has created a shared life in the church. He says in chapter one, verse 18, that he is the head of the body, the church. He is the head of the body, the church. 
He says in verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood on the cross. <laughs> he gives you this massive picture of all he's going to do in this cosmic reconciliation of all things. And right there in the middle, he says, he is the head of the body of the church. He's saying, Church of Redeemer, while we're waiting for this massive reconciliation of all things, this huge story of redemption of all things, while we're waiting for all that to be accomplished, oh, you in 2020 in Arlington and Redeemer, he's the head of your church, your local church. He's the head, he's leading you, he's guiding you, he's renewing you, he's taking care of you, he's helping you, he's a part of your story. He's not just in this massive cosmic story, He's in your story. He's with you right now in your story. Isn't that comforting? He's the head of this body. He is the head of your church. He's not gonna leave you. He's not gonna forsake you. He's right here with you in your gospel-formed life and shaped church because the gospel shapes a life. It shapes a church, a church that he is the head of. The gospel is not fire insurance to put on a shelf. It is a life to be lived out together. It is a walking together in a gospel life in all of its magnificence and a monotony. And this has been our mission since the beginning. This is why we exist. We love Jesus. We love Jesus and we wanna multiply disciples who integrate the gospel life together. This is why we want to do this book, and this is what is so clear in Colossians. The gospel creates a people who Christ draws together and say to each other in verse 10, look at what it says in verse 10, let's walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That is a people together. That is not individuals. That is a people together saying, let's walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Church, that is a commitment of a gospel life together. That is not you at home with your Bible alone. That is us together declaring to one another, let's walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It is a people who are committed to one another. Verse 11 here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. I love that. You see, in the church of Jesus Christ, our world systems of value and class have no place because this is Christ's kingdom. And in Christ's kingdom, the social orders and status and value systems no longer exist in Christ's kingdom. We're brother and sister. It's equal at the foot of the cross. As Colossians so explicitly states in the gospel life together. We are now a people who put on then as God's chosen ones, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a, a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. You see, this is now Christ's kingdom and Christ's people. And we learn to love like Christ loved. And the ethic of the kingdom is the character of the king. And let's, let's be honest. Loving others as Christ loves us is hard work. And let's be honest. We're still learning. 
and we don't know how to do it yet. And that gospel life together is hard work. Amen? Amen? Amen. Verse 14, and above all, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. You see, Christ rules in his church. He is the head of the body. Then he says in 16, chapter three, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanks. There must be a cat in this place. <coughs> I'm allergic to cats. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. <clears throat> what I love about this passage is it gives us clarity on what is taught. Christ's word is taught in this place. It is not our own. And that we're called to mutually submit to it together. That is the gospel life together. This is our gospel life together, Redeemer. And it truly is magnificent because Jesus made this all happen and he's given it to us as a gift. And we need to be reminded of this gift again and again and again and over and over and over again. We don't need something new. We need someone true. <coughs> We need to be renewed in the image of Jesus. What we need is childlike faith and to come to him with open hands and hearts and ready to receive. As I was preparing this message, I was reminded of G.K. Chesterton's quote about monotony. Um, he says, because children have a bounding vitality because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. <laughs> For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Church, my encouragement is let's exalt in the magnificent monotony of the love of Christ found in the gospel. And that let's never become so adult that we lose a childlike faith that rejoices in the love of Christ that we find in the gospel. Because I truly think in the love of Christ, what we will find is a renewal, um, a renewal in the image of its creator. So why do we wanna study Colossians? There's a couple reasons. I wanna to continue to build Redeemer into the gospel each week that we preach and I want to preach it with passion and clarity because I truly do think it's of first importance. 
It's of first importance to us as a church and it's, I believe, first importance to you as a believer. I also want to continue to call us to this great gospel life together. I think it's the mission of this church and I want to do all that I can as a pastor to continue to equip you and train you in what it really means to live a gospel life together. One of the things that I'm really excited about is um, Marshall is going to um, write certain studies for CGs to go through um, to just do all that we can to equip you through those. Um, I know CG leaders are doing some, some of their own things too, so if, um, but this is also for new groups to go through. Uh, more announcements will be going through that. Um, I also, I really wanna use Colossians to just consistently remind us of our mission together, um, that it hasn't changed, and to just use Colossians to, um, especially just broadcast to people that are new what our mission as a church is, but also for those that have been around for a, for a while is to um, also just be re-inspired um, of just what God is calling us to do in this place because I really think God is calling us to do some amazing things in this city and in each other's lives. Um, the other thing is, and this is more of a save the date, is we're gonna use chapter four uh, to do evangelism training and integrating faith and work training at the um, spring retreat, uh, and that's gonna be on April 24th and 26th, so we're gonna use the last um, few verses in chapter four to do evangelism training, and so really excited about that. So I'm really excited about Colossians and what I believe God's really gonna do uh, through this book. So um, let's pray, and then we're gonna jump into communion. So Lord, I just thank you for this little book. I thank you, God, for how you're leading us, and I thank you, Father, for the gospel. I thank you, um, just, I thank you for these people. I thank you, Lord, for your spirit coming and illuminating again and again, showing us again and again Christ. God, I pray that you would bless us now in communion. In Jesus' name, amen.